Hey, everybody. Well, if you have your Bible or your worship guide or your phone or however you want to pull up the text, we're in uh, Genesis 2 this morning. We are trucking along in our uh, beginnings series, looking at Genesis 1 through 3. Starting to think that maybe we should add Genesis 4, but we'll see. It depends how long we... Uh, this is a slow, it's a slow hike, remember? We're just taking our time, trying to pick up as much as we can. There is so much in these passages. Every week when I study these passages, I struggle with, what do I leave out? Because uh, there's a lot here, a lot of really good stuff. So... Uh, I didn't really have a point to tell you that. I just wanted to share that with you. We're in a good place. Uh, this is awesome to go through this text together. Um, so, Genesis 2. We talked about last week how Genesis, the chapter division, is in an awkward place. Remember that? So, we're actually going to start with Genesis 2.5. So, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden there was a tree of life, and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and, there, and from there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and it winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, and it run, runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work him and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness in speaking to us in a book where we can just pick it up and read it and dissect it and uh, kick around the ideas. And it, it's amazing. Your word is holy and infallible and perfect. And you, you give it to us foolish people to interpret 
and to think about for ourselves. It's, it's incredible that you would trust us with such an amazing thing. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to hear and to read this text as you have it for us, as, as, you, as you mean it to us. Lord, I pray that we would hear uh, you speak to us in this time through your word, that you would illuminate it in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Help us to see how much we need you. Help us to see Jesus and all of his glory inviting us to come to you. And then help us to come. Lord, all these things are in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I remember when I was in college, I took a a class called The Bible is Literature. And um, I like the teacher, and I like the Bible, uh, but the class proved to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, In that class, I remember studying this text, and the doctor, I mean the doctor, the professor, whose name was Dr. Shaheen, a really, really wonderful teacher. he taught us this Genesis 2 text in a way that I, I had not heard before. And then after I learned what he had to say in the class, I learned that his view was pretty dominant in a lot of academic and even church settings. And it's a view that I have a problem with. It's the view that this story in Genesis 2 is a separate and different creation account than what we find in Genesis 1. Dr. Shaheen showed us, he says, see, this, people think you could trust the Bible, people think it's a true story, but look, right here in the first two chapters, we have, we have one story where, you know, God creates, uh, plants and all that stuff on day three, and then another, and then later he creates people, men and women together, on day six. And then in the next chapter, here we have this story about, there's no shrub that appeared, no plant, uh, and then God creates man, and later he creates woman. See, you can't trust the Bible. I remember then as a freshman in college, that rattled me. Because I, look, it, you're right. It's different. And I knew that there was something to Dr. Shaheen's, it's not his fault. He was teaching what he learned. He was teaching what a lot of people learn. But that sent me personally on a quest to really try to figure out, try to learn in my own heart, also in my brain, reading things and talking to people. Can we actually trust this? Is this for real? Why is it that it just seems like so clear that chapter 1 and chapter 2 are two different stories? What's going on here? Uh, Well... um, This isn't a lecture about the infallibility of Scripture. So there's way more that we could talk about on that front. But with this particular passage, I wanted to point that out because many of us have heard the same kind of thing. And even if we just read it ourselves, it seems a little off that it would be so different. So what's going on here? Well, Dr. Shaheen was a good teacher. And Dr. Shaheen taught us in a way that lots of good teachers teach. In fact, I'm pretty sure that every good teacher does this in some way or another. Dr. Shaheen would teach us the same principles and the same truths over and over and over again in different ways. I know that some of you uh, have experience with teaching. 
whether that's, uh, you know, in church or homeschool or in a real school or, or at your job or whatever. And anybody who's taught for any amount of time knows that when we want to teach really important lessons, we teach them over and over and over again using different images, different metaphors. Sometimes we teach it in a story. Sometimes we use a song. Sometimes we use uh, a very left brain analytical explanation over and over again in order to drive the lessons home. We see this in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus teaching the same things over and over and over again. Well, the reason Genesis 2 as a creation story seems a little off from Genesis 1 is because Moses was a good teacher. And Moses, wanted, remember, he was writing for the people of Israel in between Egypt and Canaan. That was his primary audience. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, we too are his audience. But we have to try to read this as if we were part of that community in between Egypt and Canaan following Moses. And when we put on our Hebrew following Moses brain, we begin to see that Moses is taking principles that he introduced in chapter 1. In that beautiful, semi-poetic, uh, almost song-like creation story of uh, God creating, forming, and filling the land in six days, and it was good. With all this repetition and imagery, Moses is taking principles he introduced there, and he is reteaching them. Now, with a different perspective on the story, a zoomed-in perspective, no longer a poetic edge. Now it's straight prose. Moses is zooming in. So what we have in Genesis chapter 2 is a zoomed-in retelling of what happened on day 6 when God created human beings. But Moses, in the way he tells it, the principles that he alludes to and outlines are the same principles that he introduced in Genesis 1. And they are principles that if we miss... We miss the point of the story. We can read Moses and listen to Moses all day long and have our imaginations, uh, you know, filled with all kinds of appreciation for God, you know, day one, day two, day three, or God, you know, making Adam from the dust. We can get all caught up in this and miss the message. So what are those principles? What are the messages that Moses was trying to get to the people and that the Holy Spirit wants to get to us that caused him to stop, rewind, and retell the story in a different way? That's what we're looking for. So I love the, in, the, in both the, the Westminster Shorter and the Westminster Longer Catechism. In the Shorter, it's number three. In the Longer, it's number four. We find the question... What do the scriptures principally teach? What is the Bible all about? And the answer, does anybody know the answer? Anybody have it memorized? Somebody say Jesus. That's true. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jesse. That's it. I think what I heard you say is what, uh, what man is to believe concerning God and what God requires what duty God requires of man. The whole Bible is about 
who God is, what God has for us, what he wants from us, and then by implication, who we are. And those are the things that we find in Genesis 1 that Moses retells the story a different way to highlight in Genesis 2. So, think about it. In Genesis 1, uh, we get who... Uh, who is God? What are we supposed to believe about God? And Moses teaches us that God is the creator. He's the God who made the universe, the heavens and the earth. And he's the same God that made the land, formed the land that he's taking the people of Israel to. We learn that in Genesis 1. We learn that God created people in order to, so that they would imitate him, image him. Because they are his images, forming and filling and doing creative work so that people can join him in his Sabbath rest. What are we supposed to believe about God? What are, we, what are we supposed to, what does he require of us? We see those things. And then who are we by implication? Well, we're God's image bearers. Everybody. Male and female. Together. And I wonder if, if I, I put myself in trying to imagine I'm part of that group that Moses is leading out of slavery and into the land of Canaan. Maybe what I would have felt when I first heard that I bore the image of God. Me and my wife. And if I had kids, my kids. And my parents and everyone I knew. It's God. That's very different than being a slave. So these are all things we find in Genesis 1. Well, in Genesis 2, Moses switches gears. And he wants to teach us these same things in a different way. So, three lessons in Genesis 2 that tell us who God is, what he requires of us, who we are. Three lessons that we find also in Genesis 1, but Moses is just really trying to hammer into us. What are they? Well, the first one is, let's start with this who are we business. First lesson we find here. We can call it an anthropological lesson. A lesson about people. In Genesis 1, we learn that people are God's image bearers. And in Genesis 2, we learn the same truth, but in a slightly different way. We learn that people were made to be priests. And Adam, in particular, was made to be a high priest. People were made to be priests. And Adam, in particular, a high priest. Moses is building on this image of God business. You don't just bear his image. He has a job for you. He has a place for you. Priests are people that, in a sense, stand in between heaven and earth and mediate through their work. They bring heaven and earth together. Priests are people that represent people to God and represent God to people. Or priests are people who represent God to the world. And they stand before God as representatives of the world. God made us in his image because He, his plan was for us to be priests in his temple kingdom. But this guy Adam in particular, he made him to be a high priest. Look at with me at the text. Look at verse 5. Uh, it says that no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. 
Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Dr. Shaheen taught me in college that this is proof that this is a separate creation story from a separate ancient source that contradicts the first one, because in Genesis 1, we don't have plants until day 3, but here it says that no shrub had appeared and no plant had appeared and no rain had come because God had not created people yet to work the ground. Or more specifically, he had not created Adam yet. But that's not what this teaches. Moses is smarter than that. The Holy Spirit is smarter than that. If we fast forward in the story, we'll get to it, I guess, later in the summer and into the beginning of the fall. If, but if you've read this before, then you would know that after Adam's sin, God comes to address Adam and Eve and the serpent together. And God gives the consequences of sin to Adam and Eve and the serpent. He pronounces curses. Do you remember what the curse that God presented to Adam was? It was that, God says this, Cursed is the ground because of you, though through painful toil you will eat fruit, food from it, so you're going to be a farmer now, all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Looking forward to that, Moses writes here, no shrub, or in Hebrew maybe we can, like no small plant had appeared. No plant had sprung up. No weeds, no farming plants had sprung up from the ground yet. Because there was no man to work the ground. Moses is saying, this is a time before the curse. Before sin entered the world. Before we had to do farming. Before there were weeds. The water just sprung up from the ground and there were trees that had fruit. That's when God created Adam. That's when God created people. In a holy time. Before this common time. He goes on to say that that no rain had come on the earth. Do you remember why God sent rain on the earth? We find the answer in Genesis 7. Because he looked out and he saw that all the intentions of everybody's heart were evil continually. So he called out one man, told him to build a boat. He gets him and his family in the boat with a bunch of animals. And then God does what? Opens the floodgates of heaven and sends rain on the earth. So what Moses is saying here is in the time that God created human beings, it was a time before the farming and weeds curse. And it was a time before the rain thing. This was a holy time. People are priests. Or at least they were meant to be. And Adam, a high priest, he was created in a holy time. He was created to stand just like we were created. In between heaven and earth. Bearing God's image, but a living creature. Just like it says in Genesis 1 that the animals of the sea were living creatures. And the animals of the land are living creatures. Here we have a living creature formed from the dust, from the earth, common to the world. But 
This living creature, God breathed into him with the breath of life. We have an earthly thing and a heavenly thing. Which one is Adam? Both. That kind of reminds me of the breathing thing. It reminds me of the story uh, of Jesus when he met his disciples after the resurrection. We, we read this quite a bit when we did the Mission of the Church series. And he appeared to them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So just like uh, Jesus initiated the new humanity with his bringing out the Holy Spirit, here God initiates humanity in general by breathing life into the man. So this man, as the proto, uh, prototypical human, created to stand in between heaven and earth, created during a holy time. And then he was placed in a garden temple. God created him. God created this garden in between the rivers. And then God moved him into the garden. I don't know if you if you get the weekly email this last week. There, there's always links of you know songs or videos or things that I'd like to share with you guys. This last week, there's one link. It's a link to a six-minute video put out by the Bible Project. If you haven't re- watched it yet, I would encourage you to. It's an animated video. It's awesome. Kids, you would love it. Uh, Grown-ups, watch it with your kids. It's incredible. It's about this story of God creating people as priests. But one of the cool parts of the video is it highlights how the language here in Genesis 2, where it talks about this garden in the land of Eden that's situated uh, at the mouth of these four rivers, how the language here in Hebrew matches the language in Hebrew of in Exodus that describes the building of the tabernacle, the mobile temple that people carried with them. There's also a match here, if you remember our Abraham series, when God said, Abraham, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And by the way, it's a land in between four rivers. Here in the text, early Hebrew readers would have read this and go, a garden... In Eden, situated with four rivers, with gold and precious stones, this is a temple. This is a tabernacle land. So in Genesis 1, Moses tells us that we're created in God's image. In Genesis 2, he tells us a little bit about what that means. We're created to stand in between heaven and earth as a priestly people. But this one guy, Adam in particular, was uniquely created as a high priest. Remember in Genesis 1, we read that God created mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 1, we see men and women together. And that teaches us about our ultimate value. That teaches us about our ontological worth. That teaches us about our equality as men and women before the Lord and before one another. With that established, now Moses goes back and tells a story about a man who was created first, followed by a woman. Moses isn't saying here that men are first. No. Moses is saying Adam was first. This man in particular, this man in particular was a high priest. That was unique to Adam. 
That's why God put him in the temple garden in between two trees, a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, you can eat from any tree except for that one. Choose death or life, Adam. Here you go. God put Adam in that situation to make a choice. Life or death. Not just for himself, but on behalf of all humanity that would come after him. That sound that would sound familiar to Moses' early listeners. Moses' early listeners they would have heard Moses give God's law. And then they would have heard in Deuteronomy 30 when Moses said, Now the law is before you. Now choose life or death, blessing or cursing. They would have gone, Oh, yeah, we've heard that before. We know what this is about. If they would have chose life, they would have gone into the land. They would have been a blessing to the whole world, just like God had promised Abraham, and everything would be saved. But they didn't do that. In, in this Genesis 2, we find an anthropological lesson. tells us about who we are. We also find a soteriological lesson. tells us God's plan of salvation for the world. What do the scriptures teach? Well, they teach what God requires of us. We saw that people were made to be priests, Adam a high priest, and now we see that God's plan the whole time was to bring mankind into his Sabbath rest. We've heard that before. But he's going to do it depending on the actions and the obedience of a representative. Just like God had called Israel to obey or disobey on behalf of the whole world, now he teaches them through Moses that it all started with God calling one man, to act as a high priest, to choose life or death for everybody. Adam was God's firstborn son, if you will. In early Israelite culture, that would have made sense. And ancient Near East culture, that would have made sense. Ancient Near East culture was fairly patriarchal. And it was a cultural custom that the oldest son was a representative for the whole family. For all the kids. Next to the father. So here we have God the father giving a command to the firstborn son. On behalf of all the people. The folks in Israel they would have gone. Oh we know exactly what's going on here. So here thus far. We have this drilling down into the message uh, of Genesis 1. That we're created in God's image. And we are created to obey God so that we would enter in and join him in his Sabbath rest. Now Moses is expounding on that. He created people to be priests. And he created one man to be this high priest. Uh, the fancy theological term for what Adam, who he was, what God had created him to be. The fancy theological term is federal headship. Which sounds very serious. Federal headship. God had made Adam to be a head, a source, or a leader 
representative for all of humanity. And as this federal head, God made, God covenanted with him, like he covenanted with Israel. Here's my law, choose life or death. Enter into relationship with me or walk away. This covenant was called the covenant of works. So here we have federal headship. Adam was this high priest in a covenant of works that Adam would lead all of humanity into flourishing in the land by his obedience to God. That was his temple work. Like a priest would go into the temple to make prayers and sacrifices and have all the people. Moses' work, excuse me, Adam's work was to go into the temple and obey. And if he would have, Blessing for everyone. We, we now we know we, it did not work out that way, right? We know that that's not how it happened. We don't. We're not to Genesis three yet, so we don't want to. I don't want to spoil it and and like you know slip in the Genesis three message now. But I think we all know if we look at the world. Obviously, Adam did not make the right choice. Just like we all know when we read our Bibles. That the people of Israel in the Old Testament did not make the right choice. And but that very thing, Adam's failure, followed by Israel's failure, is the big reason that this story should matter so deeply to us. It's the reason that when we read this story, We should reflect back on Genesis 1, on God's beautiful, creative initiative and the beautiful miracle of His creating the heavens and the earth and forming and filling the land. When we read this Genesis 2 story, knowing that Adam is going to fail, just like Israel failed, and if we're honest, just like I fail every single day, we should begin to feel worship deep down, starting to boil up inside of us. Because Adam, as our high priest, failed. But, there's another high priest coming, who's not going to fail. We read Romans 5 about how Jesus came to do the work of a new Adam. Just like one man disobeyed and all of humanity was cursed, Jesus came to be that one man, the new Adam, the new high priest, the, the, the federal head of the new humanity to come and obey so that we could be saved. We know that because we have the New Testament. We know that because we can look back and we should rejoice. But here's the question. How would have Israel known that? Moses' first readers... They didn't have Romans 5 that we read earlier. They didn't have the stories about Jesus coming as God's firstborn son in order to to be obedient, in order to hang on a tree, in order to rise from the dead out of the ground like Adam came out of the ground, filled with the Holy Spirit, the breath and the life of God so that the new humanity can join God in the Sabbath rest. They didn't know that yet. But the message is still there. And Moses, being a great teacher, still pounding it into them. Or in this case, planting the seed. We see the gospel in this text. 
Let me show you. You say, Charlie, I don't, I don't see it yet. Where is it? Well, in Genesis 1, if you remember, God creates the heavens and the earth. And the word there for God was Elohim. And it was plural. It's like the royal we. It, it connotes God's majesty. And it also reminds us of the Trinity. That's Genesis 1. Well, after Genesis 1 through 3, this section after that, starting in Genesis 4, we still see the term Elohim, but a new term for God is used. Yahweh. That means I am. That's God's Redeemer name. That's the name he... Remember Moses? You tell me I'm supposed to go lead the people out of slavery? Well, which God am I supposed to tell them that sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. Yahweh. So before Genesis 2, we have the Creator God, Elohim. After Genesis 4, we have the Redeemer God, Yahweh, and sometimes still Elohim. But in this little section, Genesis 2 through 3, we have something that's unique to only this part of Scripture. God is called, what we have in English, the Lord God. And what is in Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim. And this section, talking about the high priesthood of Adam, talking about the big test in the two trees, Talking about how God's going to bring all of humanity into his Sabbath rest on the obedience of one man. And we read this and we know we know it's not going to work. And Israel read this and they're thinking, what's going to happen? Probably not going to work because we were just enslaved and that doesn't feel like Sabbath rest. How is all this going to end? And I bet if we walked up to Moses' tent and said, Professor Moses, I got a question. You gave us an anthropological lesson. You taught us who we are. You gave us a soteriological lesson. You taught us how God's going to bless the world. Moses would go, yeah. And so how is all this going to work out? Because we know Adam's going to fail. And I imagine Moses gets up from his table. He's an old man. He was an old man his whole life. Gets up from the table and he says, well, let me show you. There's also a theological lesson in this text. Something about God. In fact, all the scriptures principally teach what we're supposed to believe about God. And that theological lesson is that the creator God is also the redeemer God. And you can't separate the two. The God who made the heavens and the earth, Elohim. And the God who brought the people out of Egypt, Yahweh. In this text, when he calls his man, Adam, To obey or disobey on behalf of the whole human race. He makes sure that Adam knows. He makes sure that Moses and the people know. And he makes sure that we know that he is not just Elohim. He is not just Yahweh. He is Yahweh Elohim. Creation and redemption. And God's economy always go together. So... Even the people, knowing it's not going to work out. and Even us, knowing it's not going to work out. Looking at the story of Adam, the high priest. The prototypical head of humanity. How's all this going to end? Well, the God that calls Adam to obey 
is the creator, redeemer God, and he never changes. And as we look back and we read about how God set Adam up for this test that seems like it would have been so easy, but on this side of the fall, we can't even imagine how it would have worked out. God says, listen to my name. My scriptures principally teach what you are to believe about me and what I require of you. It tells you who you are. God lets us know that he is the creator, redeemer, and from day one, his plan was to send two Adams. For Israel, for you, and for the whole world. Because by one man's disobedience, everything fell into sin and disarray. But by one man's obedience, everything is brought not just to the way it should have been, but to a consummate, redemptive completion. So as we finish, no big application for today, except for echoing Paul's words with the question to you, everyone here, because I think we should read this and we should ask ourselves, is Adam or is Jesus your high priest? Which one? Forget about whether or not you would have chosen the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You didn't get that choice. But we had two men who had that choice. And one failed. And one was obedient. Two high priests. Which one is yours? You know what you do get to choose? Which high priest you put yourself under? Let's pray.